0: I'm going to go right into it now, and it's just plain as this. Today's episode is about the foodie. What is a foodie? Let me first put it out there that I dislike the term, though its use is so widespread that I can't help but use it or refer to some as foodies, just for the reason that there is no other better word that I can think of. It's much like influencer. There was a time when I thought about it, and there were a few other words out there that I could use to describe a foodie, but not to the extent that I think is accurate. Of course, we have gourmet or gourmand, but those terms often describe an individual who appreciates food of high quality, which covers only a select group of people that are on the top tier of the culinary pantheon, if there ever was one. My name is Jay Del Coro, and you're listening to the Aimless Cook Podcast so before i go into talking about what i think a foodie is let's read a few of your comments from facebook so i asked On Facebook about a week ago before I started writing this episode what you thought a foodie was and we got a few comments so I got some here we have Marie Levesque from Quebec and she says for me it's someone who takes great pleasure in eating and sometimes also cooking all sorts of different foods and learning about the ingredients and the culture behind it okay that's a pretty good summary all sorts of different foods Learning about ingredients and culture behind it, which is very good. Because you, you really want to know, you know, about something that you're so into. You want to know all of the aspects of it, right? So let's go on. So I got a comment from Mary from Mary About Town. That's her Instagram. Who says, someone who enjoys food and loves to try new and different things. A person who sees food as an adventure which is a pretty good way to concisely put that into two sentences. That's great. So thank you, Mary. Simone writes, A person who relishes in the tastier things in life, a traveler to flavor country, a seeker of culinary adventure, and certainly someone who lives for the snackies. That's from Simone. And yeah, that is an artful way of putting it. Wendy from Washington says, For us, food is a lifestyle, not just for sustenance. So true. If we aren't eating, we are thinking about what we will buy, research, cook, or eat next. Depending on where you fall on the foodie spectrum, there's a spectrum, it can be just an obsession, hobby, or a career. That's a pretty good definition. Thank you, Wendy. Wendy. Gregor says, a foodie for me is someone who obsesses and places a higher than average value to the enjoyment they get from food. They often are inquisitive eaters, flavor chasers, and are fascinated with the process of what it takes to create a plate of great food. Foodies often turn into high achiever home cooks too when the passion grows beyond merely consuming and wanting to create Or recreate dishes at home. Very true. A foodie will pick a vacation spot with a firm influence on that food scene. Or at the very least will research after the fact to pre-plan must-visit spots. That is also very true. I'll get into something else right after this comment. Which goes on to say, totally fine to reference me. Thanks for all the content over the years, by the way. I still use the Quickle recipe that's awesome the quickle recipe i did on youtube years ago which was a quick brine for like korean style quick pickles we just call them quickles so that's what that means but thank you gregor thank you for supporting over the years and thank you for that great uh definition of what a foodie is now speaking of um pre-planning and visiting spots it is something that i do definitely. Although I do like finding places that are kind of off the books. Some people have their lists. I have a friend named Carmen who has spreadsheets on major cities of where to go. But a lot of the times I like to find places that are kind of hole in the wall and undiscovered just because I'm kind of that wanderer type. And we like to go to places that aren't Uh, Bogged with Tourists. Kind of reminds me of a movie. If you've ever seen... There was a documentary called Foodies. Actually called Foodies on Netflix. And it was about the dining... Fine dining subculture of foodies. And mostly about haute cuisine. And it goes into the lives of a few of these people. And I can't remember how many there were. I believe there were... Six of them at the time, maybe five. I don't know. Anyways, it just goes into the lives of these people and how they go through so much effort and money and investments to eat on the best places on earth, the best restaurants on earth. They're bloggers, most of all. And uh, yeah, it is basically about how they, they follow that obsession and... I mean, that covers, like I said at the beginning, a very small part of this, of the subculture of foodies. And I really think that a foodie should cover more than just fine dining or old cuisine. Okay, so I'm going to move on to another comment here. This is from Alan Pineda. Alan Pineda is a chef. He has a restaurant currently in the last month of his restaurant called Baha'i Kubo in in Winnipeg. I did a pop-up with him a few years ago here in Calgary. So this is what he says. He says, this is the longest one too. He says, in my opinion, I think the term has unfortunately evolved in a detrimental way from when it started. Thrown around loosely and now used by anyone similar to, quote, chef. Anyone can claim to be a foodie or and or a chef these days which leads back to what is a chef or foodie these days a foodie in some but leaning towards most cases from my experience is someone who loves food the experiences etc but many are too judgmental and are in the influencer type scene while most do not have much experience or skill set in cooking well don't get me wrong there are pros and cons to everything But when you have masses of people claiming to be foodies, but negatively affecting businesses because of their take on food, that is not to their liking or food style and influencing others, you know, to not eat or frequent places, not cool. Um, Then there's bias when that also comes into play, similar to food judges, if you despise an item, flavor, or food as a food judge or foodie, it does, but shouldn't in terms of judging, have an impact on how you perceive the dish slash food, which then affects the restaurant sales, winners and competitions, et cetera, et cetera. my two cents. So this is a really long uh, description that comes into, well, a lot of uh, opinion definitely when it comes to the definition. And yes, it is a very ubiquitous term these days, similar to chef. And yes, I did have, uh, we did have a kind of talk about this on a past episode that I had with uh, Chanry Thatch on influencers. And if you want to link to that episode, you can see it in the show notes. And it's a very interesting episode if you take a listen. But, you know, a lot of, Valid things were said in all of these. And. Uh, I like to say. I'm going to say this as mine. My take. Uh, a foodie is someone who passionately appreciates. Enjoys and explores. Various types of food. Now. True foodies. If I ever were to put a badge on this moniker. Uh, appreciate the diversity of culinary experiences. Valuing. Taste and creativity over cost. So. I would say that they find joy in savoring dishes from all walks of culinary life and all over the world, whether from a street vendor or a high-end restaurant. For them, the essence lies in flavors, textures, and the stories, cultural stories, behind each dish, transcending boundaries of merely price. That being said, I was at a sushi omakase experience with Joe, who is my wife. And it was her surprise for me for my birthday. And we went to a place called Ryuko, which has a sushi omakase experience. And that brings me to my uh, review of the day, which is all on Ryuko. So let's go there right now. 23 carefully and artfully curated and composed bites. 23 meticulously thought out and executed assemblages of premium components. Chosen from various locales, sustainably sourced and made with the utmost skill. It's a narrative of Chef Jun Young Park's life journey effort, emotions, and commitment condensed into two and a half hours and 23 bites. This is Omakase. From the Japanese omakaseru, which means I leave it up to you. It commonly refers to these Japanese sushi dining experiences in an intimate setting with the chef choosing and creating a tasting menu for your dining pleasure. It is as much a play as it is a dining experience. As we seat ourselves at the bar, the stage is thoughtfully and carefully set with all the players making their last-minute adjustments for a performance that will take the audience on a memorable journey. As we wade with bated breath, Chef bows and introduces himself and the team. A collective hush follows after polite greetings and seated bows. And a meticulously orchestrated presentation unfolds for us in the form of intricate and complex flavors. But to describe omakase like a place, to describe it like many have already. The more I think about what I want to describe, the more my mind wanders to places where the real and intangible converge. Comparing my experience to some sort of culinary alchemy where real ingredients intertwine with the ephemeral nature of flavor, creating momentary masterpieces that will only live in my memories long after each bite. As I scratch the surface of bringing scope to this dinner, I think deeper about the comparisons that can bring some justice to this daunting task. As it begins, it's much like a passionate and unpredicted romance, which has humble beginnings, like the daikon nimono in dashi with shredded bonito flake and microgreens. This otherwise innocent introduction turns suddenly into a deep and sultry rendezvous with promises of what's to come with the chawanmushi course, topped with fresh BC uni that is appreciated but not necessary as it sits seductively atop an impossibly smooth and silky egg custard a bit of excitement flares as infatuation intensifies in this love story. As each course is presented to me, lovingly handled, assembled, and expertly seasoned, I'm taken through what amounts to be an epic journey through time. Each fish dry-aged for a specific number of days to bring them to what would be the apex of texture and flavor intensity. Complemented by seasonings that could be simple or complex depending on the type of fish, and the direction that Chef Park chooses to take his diners. His journey, as he shares in his words, is shaped by his own experiences bringing together a world of ingredients inspired by a cuisine half a world away. But reflect in local nostalgia through the clever use of regional flavor notes such as hay smoke or maple. As dinner nears its completion we are fully immersed and entranced by the performance that seemingly transcends any sort of predictable comparisons that would honor this appropriately. As my blown mind lingers on the absolute pleasure I had just experienced and slowly starts to reassemble itself, we are presented with a bowl of what appears to be a standard post-meal miso soup. The moment that I bring the bowl up to sip, the fish-laden aroma tells me that this is no mere utility-grade miso soup that we've become accustomed to from any everyday sushi joint. This is a crescendo of pure flavor that encapsulates Chef Park's mantra of want not waste not, casually mentioned during the service. Though superior ingredients will make a better chef, achieving something as wonderful as those parting sips only proves that humility sets some of those chefs apart. Much like love, There are moments of intensity, shared moments of pure joy, and heavenly bliss that make you close your eyes so you can savor the moment. But also like love, it comes to an end, leaving me a little sad, but also blessed that I had the privilege of being in that space for two and a half hours and 23 bites. Some people will say that certain dishes, like pho, are better in the West because of the access to better ingredients. Now, I've heard a lot of people that actually make pho say that. Though, on the other hand, others will argue that pho in Vietnam is a winner hands down. Now, there are so many factors involved in making a comparison like that. You know, the, the person making pho here in the West make pho in Vietnam. Uh, population density in each locale is different. So there's more, a lot more pho being made in Vietnamese kitchens than in a Western one. Western beef, on the other hand, may be of a better quality because of the variety of products available. And because of nature of diners in the West, maybe there is room to make a pho that reflects more creativity. Maybe the Western chef has the opportunity to use more premium ingredients or charge a higher price point. And in this case, can one chef be the better chef? And don't forget about the experience. Now, experience can speak volumes about the food before you even put it in your mouth. Ryuko, for example, was such a fulfilling experience because every detail was intentionally crafted and fine-tuned to set a stage in the diner's mind and imagination, preparing for the uh, experience to come. Now, when you travel, you're fully immersed in all of the sounds, scents, visuals, a language, custom, and culture of a place that puts you right in the middle of a world that might be completely new to you. Every moment is a new experience, leading up to what would be like the first bite of something amazing, whether it be local pho in Hanoi or char kway tiao from a cart. But if you ask a local who's lived their whole life in that place that you find so amazing, they'll probably tell you that there are better spots for such and such a dish, or that auntie at the hawker center makes something else better. It's purely subjective. Now, it's the culmination of all of these elements that prepare someone for a culinary adventure that blocks out that piece of their mind. And it makes room for the best pho or the best sushi omakase. Now, whether that experience is completely organic, like in the instance of travel, or painstakingly constructed, like fine dining, there's a point to all of this. Food is not a very large part of that whole perception of our memory, of the experience as a whole. And it's not just limited to fancy dinners or travel. I'll tell you a story. Whenever I'm in Ogden, which is a neighborhood here in Calgary, I like to go to a neighborhood diner called Smokehouse Diner. It's run by this crusty guy who is very pragmatic in his communication style to say in the most polite way possible. As someone who dines out alone a lot, I can appreciate his choice to avoid that unnecessary complexity in his interactions, as I'm not one for small talk, be it sports, weather, or whatever current event we're in the middle of. When I do stop in, it's usually a spontaneous decision, as it's most often when I'm driving past and realizing, hey, I should go grab some of that broaster chicken. Smokehouse is a diner that makes all the classic diner fare. But if you go there, you go there for the broaster chicken, which is a trademark process of frying chicken under pressure. And yes, these days. And they do. But smokehouses is especially tasty because he makes it to order. There's no holding lamps. And what you get after he grinds your gears about calling ahead next time you visit is a scalding hot fried chicken basket that is crispy on the outside, with an insanely juicy interior that drips when you tear into it. As you gently and gingerly rip the pieces apart, since they're molten hot and you can't wait to devour them, the billows of steam rise from the freshly cracked crispy skin and exposed meat carrying an aroma that teases your nose with its seasoned promises. And don't forget to grab your can of pop from the fridge. It's usually one of two or three options of which you don't want, but you get to take one anyway. You can choose to take your chicken to go, or eat it in your car or under a tree at the nearby park a block away and immerse yourself in a chicken sauna that will fog your windows, or eat it at the diner. Now the latter is the better option since, especially if the weather isn't great, like right now. The chicken is piping hot, there's no box to make it soggy, and you can marvel at the years of character and personality that the diner has accumulated over the years in the form of menus updated with marker or tape, the bulletin board at the entrance plastered with business cards, most of which are probably long gone, and the memory of a time when that diner was used as a shooting location for Netflix's Fargo in season one when it was Lou's Diner. Here's a case where the food is delicious and the experience is equally as rewarding. Now, though the owner always gives me a hard time about calling ahead he writes his orders on a paper pad, never has a cooler chock full of a plethora of ch- soda choices for my thirsty palate. I don't care. If the place wasn't good, it simply wouldn't be there. It may not be your kind of place, but I would confidently say that this spot is one of the best for fried chicken in my book. I can probably say with a degree of certainty that if someone decided to open up a fried chicken joint in a brand spanking new building in a trendy location with nice seating Designed by the best designers with a curated beverage program and a chef-driven menu. What does that even mean now? Using locally raised chickens. Let's picture a class clown, but fried chicken. I could say that it would probably have a strong start, like a lot of places. It'll get a lot of short-term social media coverage. It'll be a sensation. It'll probably be super busy for the first few months, you know. And like many, it'll probably just kind of fade into the background, left to tread the unforgiving waters of the industry, and either become mediocre, or thrive, depending on how you know well it go- it does, or drown, like many restaurants do. It's a sad truth. And meanwhile, my buddy in Ogden will still be serving great chicken at the Smokehouse Diner and I'll still be happy to grab my choice of soda, even if the choices are ginger ale or grape Fanta. I know I talked a lot about Smokehouse and it was easy because the feelings that came to me as I was recalling that day are still vivid in my mind. Don't get me wrong. I love the dinner at Ryoko too but for some reason it took me a lot longer to come up with the words to write about it. Maybe because I wanted to give that very special place and experience some justice with my words. And I thought it through a lot before posting that piece. Whatever the case may be, I had a lot to say about two very different meals that were on very opposite ends of the price spectrum, yet equally as satisfying on the good food and dining experience spectrum. Very interesting. And of course... There's a time and place for everything. As I wouldn't find myself taking my wife to Smokehouse for our anniversary dinner. That is unless I wanted to start sleeping in the basement. In fact, we're actually going out for our anniversary dinner tonight. And I'm going to write about it when I do write about it. Which will be, of course, later. But I'm hoping that it will be really fun and cool. And that I'll have a lot to say about it. So, fingers crossed. But okay, like I was saying before, we have two very different places, two very different prices, yet both experiences were just as vivid. Which is a very important thing to state because I think as a foodie, we can find and appreciate the good in these experiences, no matter where they are. You know what I mean? Uh, I talked about the documentary of foodies on Netflix uh, at the beginning of the episode. And of course, like I said, it was all about these, these foodies who travel the world and go about all of this expense and effort to go to the best places on earth. And I would say, as it's an interesting movie to see these people go through their lives like this. But I don't know if it is very engaging in terms of like, you see these people, if it's engaging to see them as characters. Because they just, you know, it's interesting to see them. It's almost like watching movies about people with with crazy uh, addictions. You know, like those shows like on Discovery or whatever they're on about people who, you know, eat mattress stuffing or, you know, stuff like that. That's what it's kind of like watching. On the other hand, there's another documentary that I really do enjoy called City of Gold. This one was from 2015. And if you're familiar with um, Pulitzer Prize winning food writer Jonathan Gold, sorry, can you hear that in the background? That's my dog walking around. It, yeah, it's a, basically a story about Jonathan Gold, who wrote about Los Angeles restaurants. And I used to listen to his reviews every week on KCRW, on Evan Kleinman's Good Food Show. And what I liked about Jonathan Gold is that he could write such great reviews about places. And a lot of what he wrote about was in San Gabriel Valley. And a lot of them were like immigrant run restaurants. And he wrote a lot about Asian food. And the thing I liked about it was that he never really, he didn't write about it like he knew what all of these cuisines were. He wrote about it in a way that he was the traveler, that he was discovering these things. And he put it in in such a, a way that, he wanted you to experience it as well, like through his words that you were discovering this as well. I can't put it into better words myself. If I had written this beforehand, I would do this, but I'm actually just trying to remember about it now. And um, I'm going to share with you a great quote. He says, I very rarely take notes in a restaurant. I'm more involved in, sort of, observing the music of the meal. I mean, you could take notes when you're having sex too, but you'd sort of be missing out on something. So I'd like to ask you, when you go to a restaurant, whether you write about them or document them with your phone or whatever, do you, do you take the time to like go out of your way to make sure that you take notes or that you have... Your words as you experience or do you like to write about them after let me know in the comments let me know in instagram or wherever or when you listen to me you probably will just directly message me like some of you have been and i appreciate it so i mean like if you if you're listening and you just want to reach out and talk to me dm please do i like to hear about you know what you're thinking as you listen (laughs) because a lot of you that's what you do and I really like that. So, like I said, there you go. So, like, there's my recommendation. If you haven't seen City of Gold 2015 about Jonathan Gold, please watch it. It's really good. And rest in peace, Jonathan Gold. So, speaking of the whole foodie thing, you know, food should be appreciated from every, from every walk of life, from every culture, from every economic uh, level in the spectrum, every experience. I came across some comments. Some of the comments were from a past review that I did. And that past review was the one I did on Rain Dog when I was looking for a really good burger. And of course, I had to rave about the rest of their menu. And it wasn't just about the burger anymore. But, anyways, I posted a picture of this burger, which was a really good burger. It was a classic kind of smash burger with a potato roll with all of the standard accoutrements, but it was made in a really good, really well made burger. And someone said, craft singles, really? To which I just said, smash burgers are, as you say, any burger in American cheese, processed cheese." Made for each other. Also very good in kimchi ramyun. Like, if you like the shin ramyun instant, you gotta have the cheese. Or if you go to Philly for a real cheesesteak, cheese whiz all the way. I think he replied, I would hope to get real cheese on a $14 burger, but otherwise sounds pretty good. Well, it was awesome. It was a really good burger. Like what other cheese do you think would go with... A good burger like that honestly tell me Gruyere American cheese burgers made for each other just got to say that Uh, someone else also said the same sort of thing it all sounds so amazing what a great review I'm having a hard time with the fact that they put fake cheese on their burger it's not fake cheese it's processed cheese and like I said before they're made for each other I haven't seen a bad, I haven't seen a burger that was made bad because of using processed cheese on it. I really think they're really good. Like American cheese, processed cheese, craft Singles, however you want to, whatever you want to call them or whatever you use are fantastic in certain dishes, right? Like I said, uh, Shin Ramyun for sure, uh, burgers, yes. And what else? Grilled cheese sandwiches, especially when you have it with tomato soup, cream of tomato soup, and you cut it diagonally, it has to be cut diagonally, or else we can't be friends. I can't imagine any other type of cheese for those kinds of uses. Now, you know, I've had good grilled cheese sandwiches with other types of cheese or real cheese, and some people will, you know, go hard on using fancy cheeses, but you know, craft Singles, processed cheese, whatever, really good on a grilled cheese sandwich. So that's all I got to say about that. So I'd like to take this opportunity to give a quick shout out. I shouldn't say a quick shout out because I really, I want to talk about this lunch I had at a local spot here in Kensington called Tiger K. Tiger K is a Korean soul food restaurant right on 10th Street. It's right on 10th Street in Kensington. So anyway, Tiger K is there and they do fantastic. They have a fantastic dinner menu. But today I'm talking about the lunch experience. And I want to shout it out because I really think it deserves more love. So we tried their offering. They have these lunch sets which start around 22 bucks which is crazy and the sets include a main they include rice and they include four banchan now if you haven't had korean food banchan is basically those small side dishes that you get with a traditional korean meal so this one comes with a main rice and four banchan so you get this all on this fantastic platter which comes to your table for 22 bucks or 24, depending on what you get. And I believe there, the time we got, uh, we got tang, and we got uh, the marinated crab, which is called yangyum gejang. If I said that right, I don't know if I did. But anyways, that's what we got. And I wanted to get that raw crab because I've never had it before. Uh, and of course, if you've ever had galbi tang is the short ribs, meaty short ribs in this milky beef broth that is cooked for hours until the broth becomes, like I said, milky. And the crab was really good. It was spicy. It had a great depth of flavor. It slowly creeps on your palate. And as you navigate all these shell cavities, and it's a soft kind of shell for every morsel of this briny meat that's kind of sweet, the contrast of that chilled sweet crab, it's a nice flip side to the marinade, which is rich in soy and garlic and ginger and gochujang and chili and sesame oil. And it's just, you're licking your fingers, you're working through this thing like you're eating you know, crawfish. And the dish itself is really enjoyable. And it is very labor intensive as well. It's kind of like when you're eating stuff like, uh, like chicken feet. But of course, it is quite enjoyable and I do appreciate the rewards of such highly tactile eating experiences. But galbitang sat on the other end of that spectrum as its focus is on the pure essence of beef, right? So the flavor, it kind of reminds me of a Filipino dish called nilaga or bulalo, where the broths are often depending on the beef itself. So they're very subtly seasoned. They depend on the beef. So what you get is something that tastes a lot like marrow bones and beef essence. And when you serve it piping hot, this is a great dish on a cold winter day, which it was. So like I said before, Tiger K also offers a solid dinner menu with a very good bar program. And if you find yourself in that neighborhood during the evening hours, I would recommend you go. But also take advantage of the lunch deal because when we were in there, it wasn't really busy. the fact of the matter is I think they're really trying to to promote it. And they really have great food at lunch. So I think you should go and enjoy the food because it is fantastic. So that is our episode on foodies. I hope you like it. I hope you uh, rate and review it. And if you really enjoy it, please share it with your friends. It really means the world to me. If you want to get a hold of me, like I said, you can message me while you're listening to this, because a lot of people do that. It's no biggie. Um, you can also reach me on Instagram at the aimless Cook or email me Jay at the podcast dot com. And of course, I'm going to share all of the socials for all of these places that I mentioned as well on the show notes, as well as the references to the movies that I had just talked about as well. So in the meantime, Be kind to one another, stay hungry, and we'll see you on the next one. Peace.